0: From a studio high above the clouds of the Okanagan Valley, this is the Cannabis Podcast. Exploring the world of Canadian cannabis culture, one toke at a time. Now, here's your host and bud tender, Gary Johnston. And welcome back for another ride on the Cannabis Podcast bus. If this is your first time, well, you're in for 30 or 40 minutes of discussion about all things cannabis. A plant that I absolutely love, and I suspect that you might have that same fondness. This episode, we talk about the big news in B.C. Can you say delivery? A game changer for B.C. stores. And a story just out today. The United Nations is proposing to ban cannabis advertising worldwide. We look at Alberta leading the way to unburden cannabis stores from promoting that they're cannabis stores. The cost of growing unlicensed pot for a CEO and a couple directors. A stop on Indica side of Cultivar Corner for melt GMO cookies, and we'll finish with a story about getting a job thanks to cannabis. All of that and more on episode 74 of the Cannabis Podcast. And the big news out of BC this is a story from the Vancouver Sun. BC's legal cannabis operators will be allowed to deliver directly to buyers starting July 15. Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth says the government wants to shrink the illegal market and allowing delivery to consumers is an advantage retailers have said they need. The government says only adults will be allowed to receive delivery orders, and those who appear to be under age 19 will have to present two pieces of identification. Kind of sounds like a cannabis store. (laughs) Recipients will also have to provide their name and signature to take delivery. Now that's pretty serious. In addition to the new delivery system, the government is removing security verification requirements for workers in the non-medical marijuana industry, and that, again, is pretty big. Every single person at this point who works in a cannabis store in British Columbia has paid $100 to the provincial government for them to do an exhaustive background check on them, criminal records check, judicial records check, all of those, and everybody had to pass in order to work at a cannabis store, and we all said, why? Well, (laughs) well, The Public Safety Minister says in a statement it has completed security screenings on more than 7,000 prospective workers since 2018 and hasn't identified any significant risk of links to organized crime. Jacqueline Pahota, the Executive Director of the Association of Canadian Cannabis Retailers, who has been a previous guest on the Cannabis Podcast, says the change means retailers can start hiring to meet customer needs when delivery becomes an option. Adding convenient home delivery to the mix of knowledgeable staff and regulated product can only serve to make the legal cannabis sector the source of choice for more people, she says in the statement. Only cannabis retail store licensees and their employees will be authorized to deliver cannabis. Delivery is limited to residential addresses in B.C. or to curbside pickup between 9 a.m. and 11 p.m. So that's the 30,000-foot view of delivery in B.C., (laughs) Now, here's a little bit of what it means from a personal perspective, because now every single cannabis store in B.C. faces the task of on July 15th being able to have your orders processed online. Of course, there's many, many different ways to do that. But as described in the legislation, no third party can be involved in the delivery. So every single cannabis store is going to have to come up with their own delivery system, man it, staff it, and figure out the logistics of it, and it is a freaking nightmare. <laughs> I know it's been done all over the place and and you no, know, but I don't think you're going to be seeing a skip the dispensary anytime soon because they're they're saying that it cannot be a third party. Every store has to figure it out for themselves. So that's going to be an interesting next couple of weeks as we head towards July 15th and delivery for cannabis retail stores in BC becomes possible on that date. And before we dive into too many details, let me recognize a moment that's happening in my personal life outside of the world of the Cannabis Podcast. A world that involves my family, and more specifically, my son Ian. If you've listened to the podcast at all, you know Ian quite well. He's the performer and the composer of the Cultivar Corner Jingle. He's been living on the coast for years and years, and the news is that he and his wife, Christine, are moving back. They're coming to Kelowna. Fabulous news for us, welcoming our son, Ian, and his wife, Christine, back to Kelowna. And let me take a moment to say, welcome home. Now let's get to some cannabis news. Now we're going to start with a story from 420intel.com. CanTrust's former CEO and two directors charged with fraud over unlicensed pot growing scandal. We've all been keeping our eyes on this one as it has developed. Fraud charges have now been laid against CanTrust Holding Incorporated's former Chief Executive Peter Ricchetto and two former directors, all of whom face possible jail time of up to five years if found guilty in a sweeping quasi-criminal case led by the Ontario Securities Commission. Company co-founder and former board chair Eric Paul and former director Mark Litwin are also charged with insider trading following a months-long investigation by Canada's largest capital markets regulator. The OSC moved in following blockbuster revelations in the summer of 2019 that a Health Canada inspection of the publicly traded company uncovered unlicensed cannabis growing at its Pelham, Ontario facility. The three men are facing a total of more than a dozen counts that include allegations of making misleading disclosure to investors in a case that will be prosecuted in the Ontario Court of Justice due to its quasi-criminal nature, rather than before an OSC tribunal as a civil matter. And this marks the first time the Commission has gone after a public company over disclosure using its quasi-criminal powers. Quasi-criminal offenses such as fraud and insider trading carry penalties, including jail terms of up to five years less a day, and fines of up to $5 million for each conviction. In a statement Tuesday laying out the charges, the OSC said the allegations relate to efforts to conceal the illegal growing of cannabis at CanTrust over a 10-month period in 2018 and 2019. During this time, the regulator said, the three accused did not disclose to investors that approximately 50% of the total growing space at CanTrust facility in Pelham, Ontario, was not licensed by Health Canada. Furthermore, the regulator alleges, the trio asserted in press releases, corporate disclosures, analyst calls, and prospectuses that CanTrust was compliant with the regulatory requirements, and they included all cannabis production in the company's financial statements, without stating that half was grown without a license. In addition, Litwin and Aseto signed off on prospectuses used to raise capital in the United States, which declared that CanTrust was fully licensed and compliant with regulatory requirements, the OSC said. Litwin and Paul also traded shares of CanTrust while in possession of other material, undisclosed information regarding the unlicensed growing, the statement says. None of the allegations had been proven in courts, and a first appearance is scheduled for July 26 at 11 a.m., in the Ontario Court of Justice at Old City Hall Courthouse in Toronto. And it'll be interesting to see how that one plays out. What an industry. You never know where this is going to go. From the Cannabis Infused Studio in the Clouds, this is the Cannabis Podcast. And now a couple of stories that have contrasting opinions or at least contrasting directions. This is a story that in fact just came out this afternoon as I was preparing to record today. UN drug chiefs have called for a worldwide ban on all cannabis advertising. This is a story from Vice.com. In the World Drug Report of 2021 released today, the United Nations Office on Crime and Drugs, the UNODC, said a comprehensive ban on advertising, promoting, and sponsoring cannabis would ensure that public health interests prevail over business interests. The report's authors said they were calling for the ban because young people perceive the drug to be safer than it actually is. A notion that it said had been influenced by persuasive marketing. A ban on cannabis advertising, which the UN can only recommend not enforce, would work in a similar way to bans recommended by the World Health Organization on tobacco advertising, which have been effective in decreasing smoking in higher and middle-income countries. The idea with a cannabis advertising ban is that you put public health interest before commercial interests. On hell me. Head of Research and Trends Analysis at the UNODC told Vice World News. Of course, it is up to member states to decide if they want to take up this ban. But you have a large private sector now that is pushing to expand the cannabis market with all kinds of products claiming many things. It's like tobacco advertising 100 years ago, which said tobacco is good for anything. The main thing is to make sure young people are not tricked by adverts into thinking cannabis is a healthy choice when it's not. Today's report revealed that cannabis products have almost quadrupled in strength in the U.S. and have doubled in Europe in the last two decades. It found the percentage of THC, the main psychoactive component in cannabis, had risen from 4% to 16% in the U.S. between 1995 and 2019, and from 6% to 11% in Europe. Despite this, the report said the percentage of children and young people perceiving cannabis as harmful has decreased by 40% over the same period. It concluded, such a mismatch between the perception and the reality of the risk posed by more potent cannabis could increase the negative impact of the drug on young generations. In the US, weed advertising and branding regulations vary from state to state, but are far more lax compared to those in Canada, which has strict federal laws in advertising and promoting cannabis. In many legal weed states in the US, celebrity endorsements are allowed. Packaging can be heavily branded and colorful and weed shop fronts look like any other store. However, in most states where cannabis has been legalized, there are restrictions on promoting cannabis products to young people. In some states such as Washington, adverts cannot depict cartoon characters or contain pictures that could be appealing to children. By contrast, in Canada, cannabis shops are papered over and have no adverts on the doors or windows. Tactics such as celebrity endorsements, testimonials, price offers, and the use of people, character or animals, or imagery associated with glamour, recreation, excitement, vitality, risk, or daring, are banned. In Uruguay, the first country to legalize weed, advertising the drug is banned outright. Whether you agree with the idea of a tobacco-style advertising ban or not, this call for a ban on cannabis advertising does feel like a significant departure for the UN, said Steve Rolls from drug reform group Transform. The fact that they are actively engaging with the regulation debate is a tacit acknowledgment that legal cannabis is something that cannot be ignored and has to be positively engaged with. The debate has moved decisively from should we legalize to how to legalize responsibly. A ban on advertising and promotion is a sensible starting point for illegal cannabis markets because it's been an effective way to reduce harmful tobacco use. Yet, George McBride, co-founder of Hanway Associates, a UK cannabis consultancy, thinks a UN ban will have little bite Companies in the U.S. are allowed a pretty broad range of advertising to adults with minimal enforcement at state level, he said. In terms of the U.N.'s recommendation, I don't think any of the U.S. states will take a blind bit of notice. This year's annual World Drug Report warned that the number of people using drugs has increased above a rise in the global population by 12% to 275 million in the last decade. Well, there you go. We should start counting the cannabis users and see exactly how many million of us there are around the world. Should the United Nations be proposing a worldwide ban on cannabis advertising? An interesting concept, because now I'm going to go to a contrary story about how things are opening up in Alberta. Now, a story from the Calgary Herald, which kind of shows the opposite opinion of what we just heard about. Albertan leads national efforts to unshackle Canada's cannabis industry. Albertan Nathan Misson said it's no accident he's co-chairing a bid to empower the country's cannabis sector as a crucial review of Canada's legalization of the drug NEARS. The province's outsized presence in the country's cannabis retail industry makes it likely that someone like him would help lead the Canadian Chamber of Commerce's efforts to supercharge the sector with a federally mandated review to begin three years after legalization. Alberta has four of the largest cannabis retailers in the world based here, said Misson. A former executive with one of them, Edmonton-based Fire & Flower. He pointed out that on June 2nd, Calgary headquartered High Tide became the first Canadian cannabis retailer to be listed on the NASDAQ exchange. It's because of Alberta's leadership that these companies have been able to scale and grow, said Misson, who is also part chair of the Alberta Cannabis Council. Alberta also has by far the largest number of cannabis stores per capita in Canada. But that critical mass of expertise and its counterparts in other provinces are needed to weigh in on a review of the Federal Cannabis Act, which itself triggers a review of how legalization has worked and what can improve it three years in, said Misson. That should include a dramatic liberalization of highly restricted marketing and consumption rules governing the industry, he said. The feds haven't done anything on cannabis lounges, Why can't we have conversations where we have cannabis infused in foods and cannabis cocktails to be served there, said Misson. While Canada dithers on consumption cafes, border states, including Michigan and New York, are moving ahead on them, he said. The industry is also seeking to lift the 10 milligram cap on THC for individual edible sales and constraints on packaging, both governed by federal law and also areas in which U.S. states have a more liberalized approach. Tight limits on the in-store promotion of brands is another store spot that should be included in their view, said Misson, and John Carl, executive director of the Alberta Cannabis Council. Just as you can sample wine or beer in a liquor store, you should be able to have a hoot of a joint or consume a tiny amount of edible just to get the flavor, said Carl. You can have a big Budweiser display, but in our stores, all you can talk about is how much THC there is in a product and how much it costs. It doesn't make for a very healthy industry. The current 30-gram possession limit for legal cannabis should also be increased, he said. Nearly three years of recreational legalization has dispelled critics' worst fears of its societal effects. And the industry should be rewarded for operating responsibly, said both men. For three years, we've learned these lessons. Why don't we loosen these rules, said Misson. Ottawa should also loosen product excise stamp restrictions that prevent interprovincial trade, he said. The biggest barrier holding back the industry's development is a mental one with the stigmatized view of cannabis persisting, said Misson. Our politicians are still caught in the stereotypical tropes of the past. We have to get away from the fear we can't talk about cannabis, he said. The industry now contributes at least $16.5 billion to Canada's annual GDP, said Misson, and should be recognized within an economic framework that allows its expertise to become another of the country's exports. That should include rolling the industry within provincial and federal departments, such as agriculture, he said. Our primary focus has been on health and displacing the black market, but that should expand, said Misson. His National Cannabis Working Group within the Canadian Chamber of Commerce is crafting a presentation for the Health Canada-led review of the Cannabis Act. Misson said Health Canada is still working on the review's terms of reference and it's not known when that assessment will be launched this fall. But with the possibility of an autumn federal election, it will be fascinating to see what opportunities that creates for the sector, he added. And good on Nathan Misson for taking on that initiative, because the rules, I'm sorry, they are too prohibitive. They're too dracodian. It is insane how cannabis is still certainly so stigmatized, as is pointed out in the end of that article. Wow, things have to get better. THC, CBD, terpene profiles, what's in me, oh please explain to me, cultivar corner, cultivar corner, oh yeah, cultivar corner, please explain this stuff to me. This is one of my favorite times of the week, when I get to share with you my opening a new cultivar, sampling it and seeing what kind of effect it has. And today on cultivar corner we are doing melt gmo cookies that's cookie with a z instead of an s now who produces melt well let's take a peek and i'll try and give you some of those details do they actually tell me that no they don't so you can see the link to the particular cultivar I'm talking about. And I'm actually going to stop trying to use the word particular. I noticed last episode I used it about 5 billion times. So that will be the last time I'll use it this time. <laughs> Melt GMO cookies is an indica flower. And what's impressive about it, again, I uh, let me see if I can give you some more details about who it's, it's from. AgriFarm Corp. is a licensed manufacturer of consumer cannabis products with expertise in both cultivation and processing. Since its founding in 2013, AgriFarm has been on the frontier of the Canadian cannabis industry, producing a wide range of products using best-in-class manufacturing practices and technologies. They're proud to be the exclusive Canadian licensee of some of the best-selling and most awarded brands in the global cannabis industry, including Strain Hunters, Greenhouse Seed Company, Open and District Edibles. And we are talking right now about Melt. So there you have the lineage of the company that produces Melt. Let's talk about the lineage of Melt itself. GMO Cookies A cross of the classic GMO cookies and OZ Kush. It has a wonderfully complex taste profile, pungent yet sweet, citrus yet spicy. Sun-grown in a high-tech hybrid greenhouse and hang dry to protect the trichomes, these buds are highly potent with a high terpene content that will lead you into a happy, relaxed, and euphoric journey. And don't we love that description? That's exactly what I'm after one more time. <laughs> for whatever reason, I had a bad sleep last night. It's time for a really good sleep, and I want to start that with a really good period of getting high, nice and relaxed, and kind of ease off into that. You know what I'm after. THC levels on this is purported to be 25 to 29%. Interesting, 25 is the bottom of their scale. And of course, we've been talking about THC percentages ever since the cannabis podcast started. And we've been talking about how it doesn't matter. The THC level is not the primary ingredient, but (laughs) I, I think people aren't listening. It's become such a race. Now, every single LP out there, every micro, every craft producer is trying to generate the highest THC they can cause everybody else is. Now, I guess that's all right. I guess, you know, it's a bigger bang for our buck, so to speak. But aren't we paying more because of those higher GHC values? (laughs) Okay, I digress just a wee little bit. This isn't indica. Let's talk about those terps. The terpene levels on this, 5%. That's pretty impressive. Uh, Haven't seen many in that 5% range so far. And the primary terpenes are beta-caryophyllene, limonene, and myrcene. And that makes sense because the flavor and aroma are citrus, sounds like the limonene, spicy, perhaps the beta caryophylline, and woody and earthy, definitely myrcene. So there we have the aroma flavor, the terpene, the terpene percentage. Now, I told you that that THC range was 25 to 29%. This package is at 26.6% THC. Now it's time to rip it open. And let's see how prevalent that 5% terpenes is in terms of the aroma. The package is opened. One of those pinch packages, which never seemed to really pinch for me very well. But once again, cannabis packaging. There we go. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's fairly aromatic. So that 5% terpene profile is... Fairly impressive so far. Now, interesting, I was having a discussion with one of the people at the store today about the obsession for big buds. You know, if the bag doesn't have a huge big bud in it, people are saying, well, that's not very good weed. Well, if that was my gauge, I think I might be a little disappointed in the Melt GMO cookies that I just opened. But that's not my gauge. My gauge is going to be what this cannabis does to my endocannabinoid system. That's the important factor because it's all popcorn buds. There's probably not a bud in here that's more than a half a gram. In fact, let me take that biggest one there. and Yeah, it's about a half. So there you go. Lots of popcorn buds. It is well at weight. It is 3.6 grams in total weight. And lots of aromatics. So yeah, I do agree. There's some spiciness with that limonene. A little spicy. The Maybe it's the pepper and the caryophyllene we're, we're picking up. Those peppery notes. And then the earthy. Definitely the myrcene. So myrcene, the third component in the terpene list. That's the one I'm hoping is going to give me some nice relaxation before this night is over. I have heard, by way of the grapevine, and that some that have sampled this before, that this is been termed a heavy hitter. Well, that seems like a challenge to me. (laughs) You call something a heavy hitter and I'm going to really want to understand how heavy that hit is. (laughs) Now I think it's time we sampled some of this pretty bud. Even though, again, it's, it's popcorn bud. Very well trimmed. Looks really nice. They're very nuggy. Nice moisture content. Not really dry, not turning into dust in my fingers, which is always a good sign with any weed. So I'm gonna have to get out the grinder and let's pull apart one or two of these buds, get a joint ready and throw something in the Crafty Plus. And that joint is ready to go. This is Melt GMO Cookies. And I'm definitely not getting the same kind of a flavor sensation as I had on our previous edition. That's a bit disappointing. And I was about to say I'm also not feeling much, but that may be coming on now. (laughs) Because to have this referred to as a heavy hitter in my world When somebody says that, they usually indicates to me that this is going to be a kick-on-your-butt you kind of thing. Well, I haven't fallen over on my butt yet. (laughs) I guess there's still time. (laughs) I think it's time we answered the other question, and that is, what does GMO cookies taste like in the vaporizer? (laughs) Because, yeah, I am... I am starting to get that euphoric buzz that mm, is something I've grown to really enjoy. (laughs) Once again, I love being high. So it is coming on now, I I can feel the euphoria coming, getting a bit of my happy eyes. And before that overtakes me, I'm gonna throw some into my crafty. And let's see what this stuff really tastes like. when we can taste that 5% chirps. So I'm pretty excited about this step. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) The buzz is coming on. Not sure it's up to heavy hitter status yet, but it's a pretty good hitter. Let's see how far and, and how fast it develops. Yeah, there's more happy eyes. It's actually kind of fun when the happy eyes kind of slowly come on. Rather than some that them, I just bam, boom, boom, there they are. <laughs> this one is kind of creeping up a little. But I can feel them coming. I can feel those happy eyes on the way. <sighs> there's that sense of just, oh, yeah. Now I remember why I love cannabis so much. And I know I'm going to have that same sense of euphoric euphoria once the Crafty Plus is up to temp and we get to taste this. That 5% terpenes, and again, in order of appearance, beta-caryophyllene, limonene, and myrcene. Although I have to say, when you look at the link... There's that slow connection of the synapse (laughs) that might be occurring. When you look at the link, it doesn't actually say beta caryophylline, It just says caryophylline. Perhaps that doesn't matter in the general context of identifying terpenes. And there was that lovely little double buzz of the Crafty Plus. And now let's have a taste of GMO cookies and OZ Kush at 5% terpenes. Mmm. Yep. There's the citrus. Mmm. There's the spice. Mmm. Oh, especially on the exhale. A lot of the spicy notes on the exhale. The woodiness and the earthiness are definitely there, so yeah, you definitely do taste it with the vaporizer. Oh, that's smooth. Smooth and tasty. Mm. So once more, we have definitively identified that if you truly want to taste your cannabis, you should be using a herbal vaporizer. And play with the temperature a little bit. I might try some more of this at perhaps a little bit lower temperature just to see if I can burst that flavor even a little bit more. But I'm pretty happy with what we got so far. If everything is right in the universe, this is going to continue to progress, move a little bit more into the body with a bit of body relaxation and a little happiness, a little relaxation, ready for a sweet, sweet night. Thank you, GMO Cookies. From a studio high above the clouds of the Okanagan Valley, this is the Cannabis Podcast. Since that's him, let me welcome Ian once more. <laughs> welcome home, son. Nice to have you living close by. I want to finish up today with another story that involves cannabis and how, through a series of events around cannabis, it ended up getting me a job. This was back when we were in Thunder Bay. We didn't spend too much time in Thunder Bay. It was actually about a year, I think precisely a year that we were there. And it was December 31st, New Year's Eve of whatever year we were there, sometime in the late 70s, I believe. I was at a wedding. One of the other DJs that I worked with, we called them DJs back then, but it meant DJ meant a different thing than it does now. Let's say the other announcer was getting married on New Year's Eve. And of course, everybody who worked at the station was invited to the event, as were many other people that he had known over his radio career. And it was, in fact, one of those other people that I ended up out in the garage at some point late at night. Well, actually, it probably wasn't even late at night. There was probably a number of times I was out there. One time I was out there with a fellow by the name of Lee Marshall. I hadn't met him before, and he and I sparked up a couple of doobies together and had some great conversation. And over the course of that conversation, it came out that the station that he was working at in Winnipeg had an opening coming up for a morning man, and I should probably send them a tape. Well, needless to say, the cannabis inspired me to <laughs> do exactly that. <laughs> and well, while I thought about what the tape needed to contain, I put it all together and believe it or not, it was less than a week later, I was in Winnipeg accepting a job as the morning man at the FM station. Uh, the radio station was actually at the corner of Portage and Main, okay, maybe about a quarter of a block from the, from the actual corner, but, but pretty well right there. And there, within a week, our time in Thunder Bay was over. I went to Winnipeg, found herself a new place to live. My wife came along with the furniture of... Uh, I think about maybe two weeks later. And that's how quickly things move sometimes in the radio world. And if I had not been out smoking a joint with Lee Marshall, the subject of the job in Winnipeg would never have arisen. I would never have known about it. I would never have had the opportunity to do it. And if we hadn't smoked a joint that night in that garage, I might still be in Thunder Bay. (laughs) So you see, you never know where some cannabis sharing may end up leading you. And speaking of leading us, I think that leads us to the end of this particular episode. <gasps> I'm sorry, I used it one more time. <laughs> but that's it. I'm going to drop the word from my vocabulary. If there is ever a comment you have, please send it along to info at And remember, if you want the links to any of the stories that were talked about in any of the episodes, you'll find them back linked with the episode at CannabisPodcast.com. That's it for Episode 74 of The Cannabis Podcast. From the cannabis-infused studio, high above the Okanagan Valley, this was The Cannabis Podcast.